0: everybody talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. Fresh off a of fresh shave, Nick. I got my mustache rolling and I'm ready to go. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. Got Nick Wilson in studio. We're at the Wilson studio compound and we're going to have a good night. We got a live legend coming to us all the way over the United States. Fresh off his swing for a grand slam again with a bow. Can't wait to get John Mulligan on with Air Wild TV. Work more hours and bourbon Barrel calls. Y'all stay tuned. This is going to be a good one.
1: Just had to make that face, didn't you, Nick? Well, nobody else knows what I'm doing over here, but oh, we yeah. got the fireman over here.
0: Oh, just go out for a fresh shave and cut a mustache in. I got to have some mask training at work, so I thought I'd cut this. As thing. slow as that
1: beard grows, I'm sure by the time this episode drops, everybody'll be able to see that uh, that stash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it don't take long. I don't get no five o'clock shadow much. <laughs> hey. Thanks for a great weekend. I want to shout that out first thing. Your uh, third, fourth, fifth annual oyster shucking we had down on the creek. It's been a great one. And, uh, hey, we ate them till we busted. Yeah, we did. We didn't eat them all, but we eat most of them. 200 oysters is a lot of oysters for a few of us boys to get. Uh, Cody, welcome back. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you with us. And as I mentioned on the little intro here, I ain't going to kill no time getting into this one because we've been excited to hear from him. I know Nick's talked to – Talked to Mr. John Mulligan quite a bit over the last few weeks getting this one set up. And, um, hey, John Mulligan, welcome to talk about it outdoors.
2: What's happening, fellas? Y'all down there in real tree country, ain't you?
0: <laughs> they a little further south than us, about three yeah. or four hours, but we definitely, we definitely support the real tree guys here.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. we on the, we're on the north side of uh, Atlanta. So, um,
0: oh,
2: okay.
1: Yeah. We're up here, we're up here right at the foothills of the mountain. I,
2: um, I actually came, uh, I've been, i actually been in that area. Uh, back when I was racing dirt late model stock cars, I bought a motor from a guy just on the north side of uh, Atlanta there.
0: Probably, was it John Cozzi? Um Sexton, Bobby Sexton. Bobby Sexton, yep. Bobby, yep. Bobby yep. builds a lot of dirt track cars for late models. They, they run them at Dixie. He's down there all the time. That's what okay. Randy's got. So my okay. father-in-law's yeah. a dirt track driver, and he's, he runs one of those motors.
1: Okay. Yeah. I didn't know you knew so much about dirt cars
0: there. Well, I don't know that much about dirt cars, but I do know a little bit about motors, especially when they're Ford built. So I'm a Ford guy, so I got to I got to go all, all out when I'm talking about those guys. So.
3: <laughs>
0: well, John, you know it's it's been a, a, an amazing last couple of years for you and everything that you're getting involved in and your continued success in the outdoor industry and the growth that you've seen. It's been something that Nick and, and I have been able to follow on some of the podcasts that you've been doing. And Mm -hmm. through that, it's gave us an outlet to see, man, who is Johnny Utah and and what's he bringing to the table? I I loved, I want to get into all the things that you're involved in, but, you know, really did it start with Air Wild TV for you?
2: No, um, you know, to take it back a little further, you know, I grew up in central Kentucky and and I started out, I was just, I was a cop, uh, started doing some undercover narcotic work and, and I had actually injured myself. Um, I had this back, lower back sciatic nerve issue going on. And I had a couple of months off work. And uh, they were giving me these epidural injections, you know, into my spine. And they couldn't really figure out what was going on. But I was just laid up on the couch. And anybody that knows me, like, that's the worst place for me, just to be stuck at home. You know what I mean? For Doing anybody nothing. that likes and, the outdoors, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's horrible, right? So – um, I had, I had just, uh, just gotten out of racing dirt late models. Um, so, you know, hunting was the only like, you know, outside hobby, you know, that I was really involved in, but one of my buddies, uh, he was, he worked at the jail and he called me and he says, Hey, I'm going to be at your house tomorrow. I'm picking you up and we're going to go to this Columbus, Ohio deer and turkey show. And, uh, so he he came and picked me up, and I said, "Man, I I might I might still be on a bunch of pain lore tabs or something like that, just to even function to move around." But I ended up uh, having a couple of adult beverages, and then my back started feeling a little bit better, anyways. But we went to this uh, deer and turkey show, and I'm walking around, and I came across this guy that was peddling these wicked Tree Gear hand saws. Uh, Todd Prignitz had just come out with these wicked hand saws, and and he was also selling his DVDs, White Knuckle Productions. And I had seen some of his his DVDs in the past, and it was a it was a different style. It wasn't just it wasn't just hitting the whammy bar and all you know heavy metal and just watching you know a thousand deer get shot over the course of an hour. It was like the story of one or two deer throughout the season, you know the food plots, the trail cameras, the tree stand, you know, really breaking it down into the pursuit of chasing one particular animal with a bow. And it just kind of something resonated with me. It was very different. It wasn't mainstream at that time. Um, so I ended up uh, approaching Todd and I wanted to buy a couple of hand saws. I showed them to some buddies and then I became a dealer for wicked and couple months went by, I thought, man, something clicked. I said, you know, I can be a huge part of this company. He needs me to be a part of this company. I'm a business guy. I've always been kind of an entrepreneur. Everything I do is kind of with an entrepreneur spirit. And it's kind of that go big or go home. You know what I mean? Bet the farm on everything you do. And I ended up buying part of Wicked from him. We became business partners. And then. He's like, have you ever filmed any of your hunts? And I'm like, no, zero interest in doing it. He's like, well, just start filming your hunts. I think you'd be cool to watch on video. And, of course, a lot of guys get into filming, and I was like, Ricky Bobby. You know what I mean? I didn't know what to do with my hands. You know what (laughs) I mean? And I was like, this sucks. I'm like, how can I get in front of a crowd of people and tell them to, you know, shut the F up? And, you know what I mean? Go get your car, leave, disperse, break up a party, whatever. But – when I get in front of a camera, I was just so nervous, you know, I couldn't, couldn't figure it out, but I kind of eventually got over that and kind of fell into my groove and, and just kind of was being me. Um, and that's kind of what got me into the whole filming side of things. This is, this is in 2013 when Todd and I met and I became part owner in 2014. And then in 2014, I actually, my buck and I made the cover, uh, the DVD cover for White Knuckle Productions, uh, which was my very first filmed hunt ever. And, um, and then I made a cover again the next year. But, you know, Todd and I ended up selling Wicked. Um, it, it was a good opportunity for me to say, look, if I'm going to do this, there's only one way to do it, and that's to be all in, fully pot committed, and uprooted the wife and kids. We left Kentucky, moved to Iowa, They say that's where the big deer are, right? So I was like, if I wanna kill big deer, chase big deer, then I better go where they are. And a total change of pace, man. I mean, just literally here I was four years away from drawing a full police pension and and I just I walked in one day and said, That's it, I'm done. I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna work in the outdoor industry. That's all I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. And we, we moved to Iowa. When I got here then that's when I broke away from White Knuckle. And I just, I told Todd that I wanted to go a different route. I wanted to go more of the short film, um, photography side of, uh, of the media, you know, and, um, that was my decision I made. And now here we are, that decision was made to go solo in 2017. And, you know, now it's 2021 and, I've got my third full season of Arrow Wild under my belt. Um, you know, I started bourbon barrel calls, Johnny, Utah, creative work more hours and, and I do freelance photography for probably 35 companies in the outdoor space right now.
0: That is awesome, man. And, and to start from such humble beginnings and get out there and, and make a name for yourself as you have. So when you first got into the, the photography side of it, did you have any prior photography experience?
2: zero zero actually i shared a post on my personal facebook page which i don't post on very much but it was kind of relevant um there was a video clip from exactly seven years ago and i was operating uh, a track unit uh, bobcat skid steer and i was um i was feathering some dirt out on a hillside because i did some did some dirt work on the side back then and um you know i'm looking at this video and i'm going man seven years ago and my post, my caption, uh, I shared it, and I said, you know, seven years ago, I didn't even know what a DSLR was. I didn't. I've never owned a camera before in my life. Um, I bought my first camera in 2015.
0: That is crazy, and just to come cool. in, come into it with a, with a, I guess, a pure passion for the outdoors, and to be able to deliver what you put out there as far as a graphic image, and basically put anybody that looks at your pictures right there in the moment. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive.
2: And that's the idea behind it. I mean, you know, even when I first got into this, you got to have a cool product, you know, but there's a lot of cool products out there. The way to attract people to your brand is you have to sell the passion. You know, you have to put somebody, they need to be able to look at an image and say, I can imagine myself there, or I wish I could imagine myself there. You know what I mean? So that's what I try to do in all the pictures. Um, if if a guy is sweating his butt off out there hanging tree stands, I want to show the drop of sweat. You know what I mean? Like I want to put people like like you just said. I want to put people there, and that's what I try to do. But you know, I didn't have any prior camera experience at all, um, and it was it was all it was also new to me. And I don't know. I mean, I one of my really good friends back home. She called me. Um, uh, I'd been a couple of years into doing photography and, and she said, you know, a lot of people are born to do certain things. And I think you finally found the thing you were born to do. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I still might
0: di- run for president someday. <laughs> <laughs> maybe some divine intervention there coming into play.
2: Yeah. You know, um, you know, I've talked about this before when I was policing, um, you know, again, in it to win it, you know, uh, reckless abandon. I mean, I ran into every building, guns ablazing if need be, or whatever the case is. And, and my wife said, you know, what's the chances that you think you might get shot on the job? I'm like, one in a million. She's like, okay. But every day that you don't get shot, the next day, the odds go up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, like, you know the phrase, if you keep knocking on the devil's door, eventually somebody's going to answer. That's right. Well, that's what that, you know, that's kind of the same analogy, and I've been doing it so long, and not just like pulling people over on traffic stops, which I'm not saying that's not dangerous, because that's very dangerous too, but, you know, I was going and buying heroin and crack cocaine, you know what I mean, in in downtown Cincinnati, so it's a little different scenario, and I kind of got to thinking about it, and I thought, man, you know here's an opportunity to go do something I really, really have a passion for. Um, and it might be a little bit safer, you know, at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, that was the decision that I made. And like I said, I, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, man, that was pretty crazy. You know, like (laughs) that might not have been my smartest move I've ever made in life, but, um, but, you know, it, fortunately, it all worked out. It took a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm a product of what happens when you only sleep three or four hours a day and you work the rest. Um, sometimes it takes that. Sometimes you get lucky, and I caught some lucky breaks, too, along the way. Um, but you put yourself but, uh, in a
0: position to catch those breaks, and that's the key thing you that, have that you can take away from that. You have yep, to put yep, yourself you in a to. position, and people that are sleeping 12, 14 hours a day are not putting themselves in a position to get there. Yep. So, yep. You, so you moved to Iowa. What part? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you don't have to go into specifics, but oh, is no, it I, south central? I, I live
2: in I live in Lee County, Iowa, which is southeast Iowa. Um, I'm 10, 15 minutes from Lee and Tiffany. Um,
0: yeah, so. you're, in the, you're, in the, you're in the monster country. I, I, I've i got a place that we hunt in Iowa. It's uh, near... Um, It's off of eighty in uh, Menlo. You ever heard of Menlo or uh, Greenfield? Trying to go. Okay, just runs
2: across the kind of the. It's not quite middle, but it's still it's kind of that lower third of the state.
0: About an hour southwest of Des Moines. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And had some amazing amazing experiences up there over the years, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, there's
2: big deer over there.
0: So when you got into to Iowa, did it kind of blow you away at the amount of deer that you were seeing compared to back home in, in Cincinnati area? No,
2: no. Um, you know, a lot of my, well, pretty much all of my hunting was in Northern Kentucky, uh, in and around like Boone County area. And I mean, like a lot of people, when I thought of Iowa, man, I'm going to move out to Iowa and I'm going to, I'm going to get to choose which 180 inch buck I shoot that year. (laughs) That is not the case. (laughs) Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's not quite, there's not a booner behind every tree. Um, there are times where I'll be sitting and hunting one particular buck and I'm thinking to myself, man, I saw a lot more bucks in Kentucky than I'm seeing right now, you know? Um, but the potential, you know, for that world-class or upper age class buck is here. Right. Um, Simply due to the fact of uh, corn, beans, and there's more deer than there are humans.
0: Yeah, the, the highways so, littered with them. You go down eighty in in November, and it's a it's a dangerous situation. Oh yeah,
2: yep, yep, for sure.
1: John, let's let's back back up a little bit. When did you get into hunting, and who got you into hunting?
2: So this is the funny part. Um, I didn't buy my first. Let's see. I'm trying to think. 2002. Is when I bought my first hunting license.
1: Oh, okay. So you started yeah. later, I mean, out, I, later in age.
2: Yeah, because I'm. I mean, I'm 43. Um, yeah, so I, I got into hunting very late, um, considering you know, um, and my dad wasn't a hunter. Um, he fished. Uh, he loved fishing, and fishing to me was just kind of boring at yeah. that time. And so, you know, a couple of times I mentioned it to him and said, "Hey, Dad, what about what about going deer hunting?" So he's like, yeah, you know, deer around here. And he was right. I mean, at that time, when I was a kid in central Kentucky, we didn't have any deer. Um, you know, you would hear these stories about people hunting all season and they shot a doe finally and they were jacked up like a fat kid on cake. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I thought, man, that's kind of crazy. But as I got older, I kind of started watching some Saturday, Sunday morning hunting shows, and, uh, my first introduction to outdoor television, um, was probably, you know, the Michael Waddell wrote real, you know, Tree road trips and all the monster bucks, you know, volume one through 700 or whatever they're up to now. But <laughs> I started watching a bunch of that stuff, you know, David Morris and, you know, those guys, Dave Blanton. And so. That was, that was my introduction uh, to hunting, and I thought, man, I, don't, I ain't ever seen no deer like that before in my life. You know, where are these guys hunting at? But um, then whenever I became a cop, uh, I started out my policing in northern Kentucky, a town called Florence in, in Boone County, and I moved up there, and, and one of my buddies that I was a cop with, he was originally from Texas, and as we all know, Texas is a pretty target-rich environment for about everything. Right. and he said man he said let's uh we ought to get into deer hunting I said you ever done it before he's like no <laughs> surely you've done it you're from Kentucky and I'm like heck no I've never done it before so to age myself I went to the public library and I thought well if I'm gonna get into deer hunting then I'm gonna really get into it and I went and checked out a book and it was like white tails you know like almost like a white tails for dummies you know kind of a book but I tried to read and read and read, and I went to Walmart, man, and I got me, I got all decked out in the proper camo, and I, my first rifle was a Remington two seventy, and
0: what in a seven seventy uh, 7, four hundred was it automatic or was it a bolt action?
2: No, it was bolt action. Yep, yeah, it was a bolt action two seventy, and uh, I had probably some twenty dollar scope on there or something like that, And, but I had it, I had it sighted in. I felt proficient with it, and. We went out, man, we hunted our butts off all year. I can't even tell you. There'd be 8 9 sits in a row. I never even saw it there. I thought, "Man, this is hard." And then <laughs> I'll never forget the last day of the season. I thought, "Well, I've hunted almost every single day that I could, and today's the last day. I might as well give it one more shot." And it was a cold, cold morning, real cold. And, <laughs> excuse me. And I ended up shooting two does. Which in Kentucky, when you buy your tags, you get one buck and two doe tags. That's what you, that's what you get initially. And I seen, seen a doe come out, actually two does come out and I shot one and she just ran off. I thought, damn, gone, I missed. So I, you know, I went ahead and hit that bolt action, racked another one, settled the crosshairs on the second one. I thought, well, maybe I'll hit this one. So I shot that one. She ran off. I thought, man, I really suck. Like, I am horrible at this, you know? And uh, so my the landowner, he calls my phone and he said, did you did you just shoot? Here, I heard two gunshots down there. I said, yeah. I said, I missed. He said, wait a second. I got a cop down here that just missed, you know, two deer. I said, yeah, I missed. I missed bigger than Dallas. So he said, well, I'm going to come down there. So he came down. He said, show me where they were standing when you hit them. So we walked across the field, you know, about 200 yards. I said, they were standing right here. And he said, "Were those, the two deer that you just killed, the two that are laying (laughs) over there dead about 30 (laughs) yards away. (laughs) I was like, man, I'm glad I got two deer tags.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
2: But that, you know, I, I didn't, that's how, and, and I tell that because I didn't even know how deer reacted when they got shot. Um, it was so new to everything, but, um, so that passion man, took it,
1: that passion took off from there.
2: Oh, it was crazy! It yeah. was crazy. I, I was I was hooked. I was like, man, this is so cool, and and it made me just want to learn more and study terrain and, and topo maps and you know what they eat, what they what they prefer. You know, study learning bedding areas and transition zones, and um, it just became a huge outlet for me. And then, you know, as I was doing the undercover work. It's you know it again you know, like i said it, it was my outlet it was something i could go do by myself and re kind of reconnect and get away from the concrete jungle you know what i mean right um typically out there in the woods i don't have to worry about anybody trying to sell me heroin or something like that so <laughs> right. um so i mean that just became it became my thing you know
1: um so when and, when did you go ahead i'm sorry
2: yeah well and that's what i was going to say um in 2007, I shot, I shot a buck, uh, was my last buck that I shot with a rifle. And I thought, man, I used to get like kind of a little bit of a buck fever, you know what I mean, whenever I'd shoot a deer and I didn't get that at all. So in 2008, uh, my buddy who ran, he was a manager of, uh, of the local gun slash bow shop in town. He said, you getting all fired up for deer season? I said, man, I just, I think I'm going to I'm gonna make sit out, you know? I said, it's just not really that fun. He said, you need a bow. I think if you had a bow, I think that that would suit you the best. Um, because the way that you're, you know, methodical and analytical about your hunting and stuff like that, I just think a bow would fit good. And I said, well, I've got a toddler at home. And if I buy a bow, my wife might change the locks. <laughs> so he said, I tell you what, I'm a Matthews dealer. And Matthews allows me to give away one bow every year to a local. And uh, I'm going to give you the bow this year. And I said, man, I'm not looking for any handouts or nothing like that. Like I'll just work some off-duty details or some overtime. and If I need to buy one, I'll buy one. He said, well, work the off-duty details. Cause you're going to need to buy a sight and a rest and arrows <laughs> broadheads and a release and tree stands, and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And, and, uh, he ended up giving me the bow and, you know, years later I went back to that gun store and he still works there. And I said, remember all of them years ago, I said, you, you give me that bow. So what, what'd you give me that bow for? And he said, because I knew you were going to do something in the archery industry.
3: That's
0: pretty cool, oh, that man. Is, that, is an, that is an awesome yeah, start, is. right? That is that. I got cold chills after that <laughs> one. That's crazy.
2: It's pretty neat. He he saw something that I didn't see, um, but he's like, "Look, you you have that work ethic and the passion and the no quit kind of an attitude that I just really think that you're going to do something with bow hunting and in the archery industry someday." So I took a chance on you.
1: Yeah, that's, so, yeah, that, it's pretty cool. Do you still reconnect with that same guy?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we talk at least once a month. Gotcha. What's the yep. name of his boss? He, he's the guy that he sent me a text message when I moved up here, and he said, "I don't care what anybody says, you've got the biggest balls of any human I've ever met in my life." <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so, I'm,
3: I'm sure.
1: No. It, I'm sure it does take a lot, man, just to up and do that with your family, and I'm sure your wife. I guess you're, I'm guessing your wife is from Kentucky, also
2: uh yep yeah originally grand rapids but yeah we met in
1: kentucky yeah just to just to pack up and do that man we uh we recently had some guys on here that we've came became good friends with the full draw assassin guys and um Derek Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. main guy he basically done the same thing packed up uh, yeah philadelphia yep and uh moved to ohio and and um props to you guys like you said you know i mean for doing that
0: you got to get where the deer are and if you're if you're willing to travel to them you're not getting the same atmosphere as That's living right. among them. And That's right.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and I and I see that nowadays when I go on destination hunts, whether it's whitetail or antelope or elk. and I mean, you're there and you're in them and, you know, you can try to figure some stuff out, but you're right. It's not the same when you're living with them every day and you can really study because even that 10 minutes of driving down that gravel road and you spot a velvet buck out there in the bean field, like boom, that didn't put together the puzzle for you, but it gave you another piece that you wouldn't have had if you lived four states away. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it is it is huge, and and you're right. Uh, I don't care what anybody says, you will not kill a 180 inch buck on your property if he don't live there. Okay
0: not unless you get damn lucky
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean now if he lives on your neighbors yeah you got a chance but what i'm getting what i'm saying is you know if you only if you only have 150s uh at your disposal you ain't never gonna kill a 180 unless you pump him with some formaldehyde and some mineral after post part you know post death or something you know what i mean (laughs) so um so that was kind of the thing and it wasn't all about the inches it was just chasing an, an age class of deer that that was not available to me you know in kentucky
0: now when you fired off and you're in iowa john that mm-hmm. first morning hunt i, I want to know because now i'm coming from georgia and spending yeah. time in the midwest has been a dream come true for for all of us sitting here and anybody sure. that listens to this show when we get to the midwest it's like we're here you know and it whether it be because we watched something on TV or we saw pictures on Instagram or Facebook or any, you know, thing that was shared when you're there, you're there. That first morning you woke up and you're sitting in Iowa. Was it kind of surreal to you?
2: It was, you know, because Iowa was always one of those states, you know, anybody that really follows whitetail hunting, um, you know, if you watch anybody's show, eventually they make a trip to Iowa, you know, and, and they're like, ah, this is land of the giants, you know. And and I, yeah, I remember that first morning that I woke up and I was like, man, I'm I'm an Iowa resident. Like I can now chase, I can chase Iowa whitetails every single year.
0: Two of them um, with
2: that. <laughs> two of them, and if I own land, three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, and and when I first moved here, I did. Uh, I bought a small farm. So that first year, I had three buck tags and. Yeah, it was pretty crazy and then, you know, that opening day, October 1st. Um, I remember it was a hot day. I was like, I'm not going to see squat, but I'm not going to not go climb a fit, you know what I mean? Right, right. And see see what I see and and I remember passing like a 140 buck like maybe the third night of the season and I thought, this is extremely surreal because I would have never passed a 140 buck ever in my life in Kentucky or Ohio, ever. 140, ain't, he ain't getting a pass, you know what I mean? He ain't getting, getting a pass in Georgia, I'm going to tell you right <laughs> now. He's <laughs> getting burned. No. Yep, and uh, and I remember letting one go, and I thought, wow, like this is, this is real, you know? Like this is the real deal.
0: Well, something I continue to see you say and uh, always kind of, you, you said, resonates well, is that gamble on yourself saying that you've got? Yep. And.
2: Yep. Always, i tell everybody, if you bet on yourself, you know, you can never, you can never go wrong. Um, but you have to be pot committed. I mean, you have to fully do it. You know, we all have a buddy that like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy me a boat this summer. And they never buys that boat. You know what I mean? But then next summer it says the same thing. So, You know, when you, when you totally gamble on yourself and if you really mean it, it's scary what you can accomplish.
0: Absolutely.
1: Well, I I was going to say this at the end, you know, to say thank you and all that. But when I first talked to John or when I first talked to John, but when I first heard John on the working class bow hunter podcast, one of the biggest things that he kept talking about was stewardship. Yeah. And we keep talking about this on this podcast after we had Don Higgins on here and I'm pretty sure you're pretty good friends with him, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don and I are real
1: close. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the biggest. He was probably the first person to use that word on our podcast, and we've kind of, it's kind of stuck with us. And when I heard you on that latest episode of, or the podcast with WCB, it just, I don't know, it just stuck out, man. I I kept telling Alex and Cody, I said, man, I want to get, I want to get John on here. I said, he, 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 we need more Johns in this industry. I appreciate that. I mean, you, you tell the truth. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're not vulgar about it. Um, you're not mean about it. You just tell it like it is and you, you can see the passion and I don't, I don't know how how else to say it, but. Yep.
2: I mean, I love, I love what I do. Um, you know, some examples of respecting this industry and, and making sure that, you know, I do the right thing. I mean, in Iowa this year, I picked up a new lease and, you know, we get two turkey tags. But when I went out there, I hunted two mornings and the first morning I heard one gobbler. The second morning, I only heard two gobblers. And so when I shot one bird, that was it. I immediately came home, took my second tag, and I filed it away in my taxes because I bet your butt I'm file, I'll file that license fee on my taxes. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, but I knew that I wasn't going to go out and try to kill a second bird. Bird numbers are down on that property. So I'm not going to you know eat up a resource. Um Another example, in South Dakota this year, on day three, I shot a bird, and I was hunting legally on Forest Service ground, and that bird ran over onto private and then died. Well, South Dakota, you can't cross property lines to pursue wounded or dead game. So I ran down the Forest Service property line, ran down the highway, ran up the driveway. They had a million trail cameras on their front porch, taking my picture, but nobody was home. And they had a bunch of no hunting signs. Now that's the last bird I needed for a back-to-back single season archery grand slam. You know how bad I wanted to just run into that backyard and go grab that bird.
0: Probably, <laughs> probably as bad as you've ever wanted to run before in your life.
2: <laughs> you ain't kidding. And that bird is as far as I know, that bird's still there.
0: Oh, wow. wow.
2: So, that was a tough decision really, really. And that, you know, it's that, that, that was doing the right thing that laws are laws, you know, love them or hate them, you know, it is what it is. And I should have put a better shot on him and, and he should have, hopefully he would have folded up sooner and not had a chance. But, you know, sometimes with a bow, they don't just drop immediately. Sometimes they, you know, they run off 30, 40, 50 yards and then find a place to hide. And, you know, then they, they die. But um yeah. So, no, I mean stewardship is is huge with hunting and you know I I say it all the time. Never apologize for being a hunter, but by God don't give the anti-hunting people any ammunition. Was
1: it was yeah. there was there any point in your hunting career where it clicked that like you're not just hunting anymore that you are you're going to be stewardship?
2: Yeah, I mean I think in See, all honesty, I think a lot of it came in early on because of my police background. I obviously respected laws from that standpoint. Um, but, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons, you know, people can be taught stewardship and respecting the animals. Um, you know, I wasn't taught that because I, I wasn't a hunter as a kid. Um, so when I started hunting, I was already a grown man paying my, you know, living on my own. And so for me, I just, I think it was just a maturity standpoint. You know, I thought, man, here's a resource. These are, there's animals out here. You know, we got to pay to hunt them. But, man, I want to make sure I've got something to pursue next year, too, and for future generations. Um, So, you know, I plant entirely too many food plots. I know my deer don't eat all them food plots. (laughs) I know they don't. Um, But I'm feeding a lot of other critters, too. And I'm feeding a lot of does. And that's, you know, one of the reasons I like to get mineral out early in the year. Not necessarily to get a head start on antler growth. It's to get those lactating does the mineral that they need. Um, as well so and you know other critters come into mineral sites you know as well so and trying to give back I you know I'm a Iowa DNR state uh, hunter safety instructor that was one of the first things that I did when I moved to Iowa is you know I've been given an opportunity to work in this industry so I kind of wanted to give back in some some way Um, more so than just getting trying to get people involved in hunting or promote the products, you know, that are, that are in hunting. So that's been a, I've had a lot of satisfaction from that, you know, teaching kids the right way from day one. Don't be out there spotlighting deer from the highway. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, Making sure that, you know, you try to, try to teach these kids right off the bat because you all know as well as I do, every kid has at least one bad influence in his life.
0: So and it's usually if, the closest uh, person to them
2: oh yeah yeah i mean there was i remember one class we taught there was one kid um i said let me see a show of hands and i had some arrow wild swag to give out you know in class and i said let me see a show of hands i said who who has gone hunting you know with their father or brother or uncle or something like that you know a bunch of hands went up and the first kid that I saw raise a hand, I said, "You." I said, "Tell me, tell me about what what did you do on the last hunt you went on?" Mm-hmm. Well, I held the flashlight from the <laughs> gravel. My daddy, he had the rifle, <laughs> and I was tired. It was about two o'clock in the morning. I was like, "Oh my." yeah <laughs> as i'm looking at the dnr reading this kid's name badge like what's your daddy's daddy saying <laughs> <son?">
0: <laughs> oh, God. so you made mention right. there about arrow wild and i want you to go into that that portion of mm-hmm. it because it's it's definitely something i'll be honest with you until i heard of john mulligan i'd never heard of arrow wild tv i mean coming yep. from the south it's just not something i don't think that really gets out there and gets the attention that it deserves since then. I've been following it along as far as I could, but what yeah. is air wild TV and where, you know, where can people find it?
2: Yeah. So air wild TV is, is basically the video format. It's the episode format of me. Um, I didn't want to call it like Johnny Utah's hunting adventures or anything like that. Jim Shockey kind of already stole that. Title, <laughs> That's but, right. yeah,
3: Um,
2: but yeah, air wild TV, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I say it's 100% bow hunting, although I did just take an AR 15 on a hog hunt in Texas. But um, it's, it's 100%, you know, as far as my big game stuff goes, it's all 100% bow hunting. And like I said, that's, that's the video episode format of me. And um, right now you can find Arrow Wild TV on YouTube. Uh, please like, share, subscribe to the channel and also on the Carbon TV network which the show uh, my show actually did win the 2020 carbon TV best in hunting award uh, on that network. So that was pretty cool. There's some really talented guys putting out some really good content on that, on that network. And uh, so that was, that was really neat to win that. And it was by fan vote. So that meant a lot, you know, made it even more special to me, but yeah, those are the two, uh, two outlets for watching that. And of course there's a Facebook and an Instagram the Facebook page I had to restart from scratch because I had some, some pharaohs in Egypt or
0: something. They <laughs> hacked it. And, yeah. I saw that and it, it was like it disappeared and then boom, it comes yep. back. And, and I heard you talking about that. You'd got hacked. That's got to yep, suck yep. to build a, build a platform from scratch, have 10 oh, 20,000 yeah. followers on there and then have to start yep. right back over again. Yep. That
2: page had, it had 14,000 followers when, and I, I went to go make a post one day, and it wouldn't post. And then I went to the page, and it's like I was looking at it as the public. And it said, page owner, Egypt. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, King Tut done stole my page, you know?
1: Let, let me ask you a question, John. I was thinking about this the other day, talking to another guy that's mm-hmm. got a YouTube. Um, He's got a YouTube, and he's on the Mossy Oak Go app. Is it better for people to watch it on YouTube, or is it better to watch it on the the apps? Does it matter?
2: Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. I mean, if somebody goes to carbon TV or one of the apps, uh, I mean, you know, you can track the analytics, um, either way. Um, you know, my, my YouTube channel is relatively new because when I first signed on with carbon TV, I signed an exclusive agreement with them. So that was the only place that you could find my episodes and then I was afraid that I was missing out on getting some of that traction, you know, like whenever I hear people from Georgia say that they had never heard of Arrow Wild TV, I was like, man, I got to get this on YouTube and try to attract more of an audience, um, to watch this stuff. And that's where I found it was, was YouTube. Yep.
1: Okay.
2: Yep. So that's, that's the reason why I put it out there. And, um, and it, you know, it seems to be going pretty decent. The subscribers are growing. Um, I mean, this time last year, I think, I think I've grown 200% or something in subscribers, you know, in the last year, but it's definitely not like one of the big pages. I know it's not like a Logan Paul, Jake Paul YouTube channel or nothing like that. (laughs) You're
0: going to have to go fight Mayweather (laughs) to get that kind of of (laughs) attention.
2: Yeah. I mean, maybe I need to get old Money Mayweather to come, come on a hunt or
3: something.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, but no, it's, it's been fun growing it and, it, for me, you know, it's a lot of struggle because I am a photographer and that's, that's really what I like doing, but I like having the video aspect of the hunt as well. So, you know, at times it feels like the show is kind of out there for the people that like watching the video format. And then, you know, my Instagram stuff is, is for the people that are like, eh, I don't want to watch an episode, but I like, I'll, I'll take a look at his stories or his pictures or something like that.
1: What's your average episode length?
2: Um, anywhere between eight and 14 minutes.
1: Okay. That's, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of seems where people's going nowadays, I guess, which they don't mm-hmm. have commercials in it, but, um, yep. People, I guess YouTube puts the commercials in it though, don't they? Where yeah. carbon TV yeah. don't do, do they? Correct. Yeah. Yep.
0: yeah. And people want that quick to the point action. That's what I, I, we watch it all day. You and I send videos back and forth, but that damn TikTok. Those little six, eight, <laughs> ten-second videos are They're funny huge. as crap, and people love to oh, see yeah. them. Yeah. And that's yep. that attention span that we all lack anymore, yep. Yep. It, it tries to draw it to that. But if you think back to where we first got our beginnings in kind of the – let's go back to when we started reading. And, and, John, coming from your age demographic, you were probably mm-hmm. reading – hunting magazines where Don was writing articles 30 years ago and reading Correct. those whitetail magazines, it kind of takes it back to a simpler, slower time. And that's just not yep. the world we live in now. Instant gratification no. nowadays. Yeah,
2: it's exactly right. I mean, um, you know, and back with the, with white knuckle productions, you know, we used to put our episodes just right on Facebook and Good. we were hitting 80, 90,000 views on our episodes right on
0: facebook and you just can't do that now they're censoring the crap out of it so much gosh if you mention hunting god or anything uh based on good you're immediately going to be hurting yourself on any kind of social media platform correct it's really
2: it's really bad you know one of my really good friends he was uh he was a guy i leaned on when i got my first camera he kind of walked me through like some of the settings, you know, what does what, what is ISO, and what's aperture and all that kind of stuff. And and he called me the other day and he goes, dude, he goes, I just went to your Instagram, like actually did a search for johnny.utah.hunt and went to your profile and started looking at the last three weeks of photos that you have posted. He's like, I've never seen any of these. None of these ever came across my newsfeed. And he's like, what the heck is going on? he's like, I don't get it. Like, I purposely like every single post you make. So you would think that the way the Instagram algorithm is supposed to work is it's supposed to show me all of your stuff. But it it is purposely not showing me your stuff.
3: Shadow banning. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, I mean, there was a time not that long ago. I mean... 3 4 months ago I'd get anywhere between a thousand or 2000 likes on a post and man I'm lucky to hit 500. Yeah. Right now.
0: We've seen that we've seen it big time it, mm-hmm. but one thing that that's kind of stuck out in my mind as of late when you start getting engagement on a post it seems like it gets more more traction like if you come in if, if I come on to Johnny Utah's uh post about what was your favorite time to be in the woods this season and i comment it seems like somebody else comments and then it starts gaining speed and it's kind of you break that algorithm and it's i've kind of saw that kind of motion in it and the more comments and the more you know shares or whatever you get it kind of grows traction as it goes but as you said you mentioned anything about hunting and and I, I, I hate to say this, but the world we live in now, if you mention anything to do with, with the good Lord, you're you're falling back on your heels and trying to get any kind oh, of sad. share. It is it is sad to see.
2: Yeah, it's it's really, really bad. And you know, and I tell my buddies, I'm like, Hey, did you see my post? He said, Yeah. I said, Well you didn't like it. He said, Well, of course, of course I I liked it. I mean I didn't actually hit the like button. I'm like, right. Well, hey, you really want to do me a solid, you know? Hit that like button and leave a comment,
0: you know. Yeah, we uh, tell like our that. buddies that that all the time, John. We're like, "Hey, Jackass, where you at on helping us out with our <laughs> yep. post here?" Well, you know, like you yep. said, most
1: people just scrolling past it quick as they can and yep. trying to see right. the, trying to see what the next one is. It's mm-hmm. a time killer, uh-huh. mm-hmm.
0: but yep. One thing that that I keep hearing you you talk about, John, is is giving those 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 passionate moments that capture you mm-hmm. in those first. It, and I think that's something that we could all do better at is to capture those first few moments and gain their attention, not, not make it where cause the, our attention span is so short, but if I've got five seconds and I can grab your attention, then I've got you for 10 minutes. Right. And yep. I guess with any kind of picture or anything you do, I mean, that's, that's gotta be cause a lot of times we're scrolling, we're just clicking like, Oh, that's a cool picture. Oh, that's a cool picture. But it if you see something in it that kind of grabs you, it's like, Holy crap! Yep. That's cool. Let me send that to my buddy. That's really neat to see.
2: Well, and it's you know a, a lot of the a lot of Instagram and social media, unfortunately, is it's like a lot of high school stuff all over again. Yeah. Um, Kim Kardashian. I don't know what she's up to now. 300 million, 400 million followers. There is not three, four hundred million people in the world that genuinely like her. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Can't be. They there cannot be I don't care what they say they're addicted but, to the drama exactly it's that fear of missing out you know people want to be a part of something and um, I've noticed it if, if I have a post let's say it hits 600 likes okay but if it hits 900 then I'll start seeing other people hitting the like button that never like my post unless they hit that 900 or 1000 like number because then it's like oh
0: I want to be a well, part of it. Everybody
2: else thinks it's cool. I better think it's cool
0: too. Yep, absolutely.
2: So it's it's a lot of that. Um, you know, unfortunately, humans are human, and you see a lot of the oh man, that's a killer photo. Well, it may or may not be, but that person is trying to get connected to the person who made that post. So <laughs> by by leaving a a comment like that, um, you know, they're they're trying to kind of
0: gain attention Feed off of that a little bit yeah yeah so yeah so it's funny yeah it is it is cur- it it's beyond funny it's almost uh, uh hysterical at this point to see how people yeah. will chase chase certain aspects of what they want to do it's kind of like when nick yep. and i started talking about doing a podcast let's let's just sit around shoot the breeze about doing it and then it it's yeah. grown into more of a more of a passion for us to see what we can do different what can I for do sure. different to show these people out here hey this isn't just a bunch of guys sitting around in a basement talking why why are they bringing it and of course we'll get into yeah. we'll get into more of that side of it in a little bit I'm sure Nick Nick's got some things in mind for that but take us into <laughs> work more hours John what what's that side and when did that get fired up cuz I'm starting to see that really get shared a bunch
2: yeah yeah man so um, uh, when I when I broke out kind of on my own um, I produced a short film in 2016 and, and I actually gave it to Sitka. Sitka ended up um, posting it and it's a, it's a short film and it's actually titled work more hours. And I think I'm trying to think they put it, uh, they put it on their Facebook page and I, last time I looked, I think it hit like 180,000 views or something like that. Um, but the whole idea of what more hours I am telling a story about how I've taken a motto um, or a life philosophy or have whatever you want to call it. And I have parlayed that into everything that I do in particularly deer hunting or hunting in general. But the story goes when I was a teenager, I asked my dad, I was remember I was trying to save up money for my first car and I was like 14 and a half, 15 years old. And I'm like, man, this is taking forever. To, I, I, the only thing I'm going to be able to buy is a old rust bucket that, you know what I mean, doesn't even have tires. And I said, Dad, how do you make more money? And he said, you work more hours. And, you know, a lot of people look at work more hours and they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to work till I'm dead every day. And, and that's not the point. The point of work more hours is you just buckle down. And you put more time into your life. Now, if you if you need to raise some money, okay, it might mean work more hours. And sometimes as adults, that's what you have to do. Um, you just might have to pick up some OT or something, you know, grind it out. Or pick up a second shift or pick up a fifth or sixth job if that's what it takes. But just do whatever it takes. If you want to become a better bow hunter, well, then you better work more hours. You know, you better start studying topos. You better start listening to guys like Don Higgins. Um, If you want to be a better archer, you better work more hours. You better be in the backyard shooting that thing at a 3D target more. So that's kind of the philosophy of work more hours is just put in the work. No one's going to give you anything for free. If you want it, you're going to have to go get it. And as soon as people acknowledge that, Instead of going, well, m- maybe I'll wait and maybe I'll hit the lottery. What, what the heck? No. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing today, not tomorrow. That's just right. get started. The sooner you get started, the sooner you can get your goal. So that's where the idea of what more hours came from. And it, it's just always been kind of a motto. Um, you know, I tattooed it on my arm and. It's just kind of been one of those things, you know, when my kids ask me, they're like, oh, I want to get better at this. Better work more hours. And then my father passed away December 16th of last year. And after he passed away, I decided that I was going to do something more with work more hours and actually incorporate it into a clothing line and apparel line. And it's just a simple, they're simple shirts. I mean, they're simple t-shirts and hoodies and hats that the tank tops and, you know, their stuff for the gym. Uh, you know, I, I love the gym. I'm, I'm, I go to, I work out every day. And, um, so I've started making that brand and, and basically all the profits and proceeds from that, um, is what is actually going to fund a memorial race, a late model memorial race down at Ponderosa Speedway in, in Junction City, Kentucky this summer. And, um, so for me, I like it. If I see somebody wearing a work more hour shirt, it's just cool. Cause I'm like, you know, my father's gone, but his message is resonating with other people the same as it did for me. So it's just kind of a cool thing. It's almost like I get to, like my father's still with me.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's always with you, John, for sure on that. He's rolling along and I'm sure if he's looking at anything you're doing out there and making yourself the prominent figure that you've become not, for any other reason, not for the negative reasons that, that generally most of the time people get noticed for you're making yeah. a positive <laughs> impact out there on folks. And it's, it's, you know, th- those, are the things that I think in the industry over the last few years from what, and, and this is coming from a consumer standpoint, because mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. what we are now we're, we're early on in our, I guess you, you might call it a, a place in the industry and trying to find our footprint on it. But we're consumers, yep. and that's what we've been. We've been, you know, guys that have watched uh, television shows and guys that have worn certain clothing or, or you know, spent our time out there hunting. And, and that's directly related to who we've seen as the passionate people in the industry. And it's made sure. a turn in the last few years. Well, I will not even say in the last few years. I'm going to say in the last two years to be of a more positive standpoint and a slowdown. Slow it down. Yeah. Tell us about why you're there And what you're doing there, not necessarily, Hey, I killed a hundred deer this year in 30 different States. Why did you do that? And I'm sure when, you know, when, when you got fired off with, with making your own Turkey calls and you called in your first bird with that call, what did that, what did that mean to you?
2: That was pretty, that was another one of those surreal moments. It, it, It was, it, uh, you know, that was kind of like that waking up in Iowa the first morning and knowing I had an Iowa driver's license, you know, and I, I, you know, I remember being down in Florida and I struck this, struck this crystal call. And, you know, this bird fires off and I went, I just made a call a sound from a piece of wood and crystal that I built myself. And this bird just answered me. And I just, and he come in and I just shot him and killed him. I thought, that's pretty, pretty daggone cool right there. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, that, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's, uh, it, it was definitely one of those surreal moments, but, and that's my thing, man. Like, you know, if I was, when I was younger, I don't know that I would have exactly had the same mindset that I do now. And You know, it's like that whole thing of you want to be famous or you want to be respected. Well, when I was a kid, I might have said, yeah, man, I want to be famous, you know. And here's the thing. Fame fades. Uh, you're famous on Monday. Everybody hates you on Tuesday. But if you're respected and you hit like legendary status and people still talk about you after you're gone. And and if I can leave all of this better than I found it, then that's cool. You know, that's that's what I want to do.
0: Fred Bear wasn't famous, he was a legend. Oh yeah. Chuck Adams goes 100%. down as a legend. I mean, you 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 yep. hit the nail on the head with that one. Jim Shockey, you made mention of him. He goes down as as a legend.
2: Yep, yep. These are these are people that were uh huge ambassadors, you know, for the outdoors and and what it is that we're
3: doing and
2: and um, you know, even guys like here's a a curveball like Chris Pratt, the Hollywood actor. Yeah. You know, I watched an interview with him that he did. I think it was like an interview in England, which maybe that's why he talked about it because he thought, well, nobody will say crap about, you know, me as a hunter in America if they don't see this. But it ended up hitting YouTube. But he talks about hunting and how he loves to hunt. And they said, why? And they said, look, you know, you go into the woods, it's pitch black, and you sit down in a tree or up against a tree. And you just literally get to watch the woods wake up. You get to hear the woods come to life. And he's like, that's why I hunt. And it's probably one of the most romantic ways I've ever heard anybody describe, you know, that situation. Um, and amen to him, you know, like for saying it like that and putting it out there. Um, Cause I think we all need to do a better job at times in bridging the gap with the anti hunters and, you know whatnot, and maybe we don't always, you know, I guess explain what we do. Um, Steve Ranella does a great job with brokering hunting to kind of that white collar crowd that may not know anything about it.
0: Amazing but, job! Yep, he gives yep. a segue so, into into what we experience yeah. in a way that they can understand. I can you and I can sit and talk about a hunt that we went on and have the same passion about it. But the yep. guy that's working a nine to five in a factory or, or, or in a, a business office setting, that's never going to be in the outdoors is not going to understand it the same way that we do.
2: Yep. Yep. Whereas you and I might say, you know, I rounded the corner in this buck and I locked eyes. Well, a non-hunter, that's, that's what he heard. What you and I heard was, we already know what each other was thinking at that time. You know, you called this buck in, man, you just got busted. That, that buck was looking into your soul. You know what I mean? Is he going to dart? Is he going to blow? Or, you know, is your camo and your hide going to work for you? And he's going to, you know, not make your silhouette and go about his business, flick a tail and, you know, turn broadside for you so you can draw and shoot. Um, You know, they, if they're not hunters and they haven't experienced it, then they don't they don't, under, they don't understand it. They don't get it.
0: Well, it's like we had Greg Glessinger from Drury Outdoors on, and he said, mm-hmm. outdoorsmen, whether you're hiking, hunting, fishing, whatever it may be, are blessed to see more sunrises than anyone else in the world. 100%. And what I've kind of gathered from that, when you sit back and think about it, think about those moments when you're sitting in the woods and it's pitch black dark and there's nothing out there except for you and whatever is within earshot or within seeing mm-hmm. distance. And it wakes up. You're the first person on this earth to see those moments, to yep. see that leaf, to see that squirrel that day. You're the first person to see that squirrel. If you got yep. a cameraman with you, he may have saw it or he may be asleep sitting he above be you. <laughs> but yeah. you know, in those moments and it's, it's that slowdown that that I think we as outdoorsmen need to chase more, instead of the mm-hmm. kill and everything else. And that's that's it's it's very cool to hear you say those things, and, and especially carrying that passion with you and continuing to do the things you're doing. That's it's awesome to hear, man. Yep, no,
2: it's a, it's a ton of
1: fun. Are you self filming all your deer hunts? Sometimes,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. Sometimes I do. Um, you know, and that's the other aspect of it is you know i'm i'm producing a show and granted you know there's there's a lot of monetary support you know that come with what i do but camera guys aren't cheap and some days i might be i might be deer hunting 30 40 days that season and uh, you start looking at day rates and that stuff adds up so i try to be smart financially conscious about you know when and what hunts i'm taking camera guys on obviously like antelope and elk and stuff like that fly fishing i have to have a camera guy there which is too much ground and pound movement spot and stalking for me to try to self-film but if i know that i'm going to be locked into a tree stand for a few days uh, i do self-film a whole lot Um, i'm never happy with the footage because it's just not the same as having a camera guy never will be but um you know you try to do the best you can and and whatnot, but like I said, my my next business goal for myself is to hire a full time um, camera operator that's with me year round. Yeah. So instead of me paying a guy a day rate or a week here, a week there, I want a guy that works here twelve months a year. During the spring, we're going to be chasing turkeys and we're building turkey calls. In the summer, we're hanging tree stands, and we're going and doing freelance photo work, you know, through Johnny Utah Creative. And then come the fall, it's, you know, it's all Arrow Wild TV. Are you? And, um,
1: go ahead. Are you doing your own self-filming on turkeys also?
2: Uh, On my turkey hunts? Yeah. Uh, On my turkey hunts, um, no. Um, Well, I take that back. Uh, I did self-film my Iowa hunt this year. But then, Florida, Florida, I had some help. Um, actually, one of the guides that was down um, at a nearby outfitter, he didn't have any clients that day, so I handed him a camera. And I'm like, "This is here, here's the red button. Do the best you can." But um, and then South Dakota, I had a camera guy with me on that one.
1: So um, when's the last time you take a when's the last time you've taken a a bird with a shotgun?
2: 2008. Wow. <laughs> so what's I've killed I've killed 34 birds since then with a bow.
1: What's what took off for the grand slam last year? What 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 made you want to do that?
2: Um, you know, I hadn't really heard of a lot of people doing a single season grand slam with a bow. Yeah. And um I thought, "Man, you know what?" 2020 you know it's time for a breakout year yeah let's let's really get after it let's really get some good content let's go on some cool hunts and let's just see if we can make this happen and um i shot my first bird in florida and i thought you know what i'm off to the races one out of four birds i got this bird on the second day of the hunt i was like i'm gonna do this I'm really going to do this. I'm going to put every ounce of my being into achieving this goal. And I come back to the hotel, i turn on the news and I hear all this COVID crap (laughs) and Kentucky shut down and Nebraska shut down. And I was like, Oh boy, this is going to be tough to do this grand slam because I'm waiting for other states to fall, you know, fall in suit. And, and I, I got back home and my wife says, you know what? Screw it. Like, no one's going to call you a quitter. Like COVID happened. I mean, these shapes, these states are shutting down. You can't get the tags that you were going to get. So screw it, you know, just call it off. And I was like, well, maybe. And I got a hold of my buddy in Texas, a real good friend of mine named Ward. And, uh, you know, he said, man, I, my father-in-law has got a big cattle ranch and there's birds out here. There's not a lot of them. I uh, said, so where are they at? Well, I don't know. I just said they're on the property. I don't know exactly <laughs> where they're at. So, um, I was like, screw it. What the heck? Let's give it a shot. Uh, worst, worst case scenario, I'll get to go down there and hang out with my buddy for a few
3: days. Right.
2: So went down there and shot a bird the very first morning at like six forty five in the morning, um, uh, pitch, pitched down right in my lap, he was dead in two minutes. Um, then I went to South Dakota, went to the Black Hills, and hunted some public ground down there. Killed a bird at like 3 three in the afternoon on the first day, and uh, which that gave me a lifetime grand slam, you know, with a bow. Um, I thought, man, the only bird I haven't killed this year is an eastern, and I could come back to Iowa and kill an eastern. So I started my way back to Iowa, and I, I called a buddy of mine, Billy C., I was like, dude, I'm dog tired. I was like, you're gonna have to stay on the phone with me to keep me from falling asleep. He said, well, do you, you know, you do a five hour energy. I said, man, I've done enough to make like twenty five hours of energy. I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And he said, dude, I don't want you driving on the road at four in the morning, you know, wiped out. And he lives just outside of Des Moines. He said, why don't you just come crash at my house? And I was like. I tell you what, I'm gonna take you up on that. I was like, You got a couch for me? He's like, Yeah, I got a couch. So I pulled into his house, crawled crawled inside the house. He already had a pillow and a blanket laid out, and I laid, took my boots off, and I stretched out on the couch, and he comes in there in the family room. He says, You know, my my lease is only about twenty minutes from here. And you're and you're already here, you might as well just wake up in like two hours and go check out my farm you know who knows maybe we can knock this thing out right now so that's what we did woke up in two hours drank another five-hour energy (laughs) and went to the turkey woods and and that bird i killed that was actually the third time that he came into the set and each time he first time he come into like 50 yards then the next time he come into like 30 yards but he was behind the blind and then the third time was a the charm. Then he went ahead and committed to the decoys and come on in about 20 yards, and, and I was able to shoot him. So that last year ended up being like I think it was 11 hunts in four states for four birds. It, it, the whole thing took like 39 calendar days or something like that because there was obviously there was days I couldn't hunt or days I had to travel. Um, but I only had 11 days in the woods and like I said, killed four birds in four states, you know, four different species. So
0: the record for that's 35 days, right, John? I don't know. Oh, okay. I didn't, I thought somebody, I I thought I'd read somewhere that they had done it in 35 days and that was like a a record or something. And I thought, I thought you were chasing that this year.
2: No, Uh no. Uh, Uh, which I could have done it if I would have killed that first time that I went to South Dakota, I actually could have, I could have,
1: I could have slaughtered that. but I heard you got challenged is why you went back after it this year. Is that correct? I did. <laughs> they was talking that nice smack,
2: wasn't they, John? Yeah, somebody was running that suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> somebody said, he said, oh, I bet he got lucky. And I was like, and of course I'm going, all right, challenge. I'll, I'll do it again. And then I'm going, well,
1: you're damn right I got
2: lucky. <laughs> There's a lot of luck that goes into hunting. You know? Sure, but, sure.
1: uh, you're exactly right.
2: Yeah. So, no, I mean, and, you know, I, I went down there to Florida, uh, my buddies, Whitetail Heaven Outfitters, they, they lease a bunch of ground down there. and So they, I was down there doing photo work for them, but I brought my bow and they said, all right, yeah, here's our list of properties. If you want to go try to kill a bird, you know, go kill a bird, but keep your phone on. So if we call you, you know, you got to come back, take photos. So I snuck out and shot a bird, actually reaped that bird. That was pretty cool. Never done that with my bow before. And then, um, yeah, then I went to Texas, shot that bird, uh, came back home to Iowa, shot that bird, then went back, you know, went back to South Dakota. And it was like the wheels come off the bus. I mean, bad.
1: Well, we must have picked the lug nuts up because (laughs) (laughs) we had the same lug. (laughs) Man, I'm telling you what, it was awful.
2: I mean, it was just – I've never – you ever go through a hunting season and, you know, once or twice you'd tell your buddy what happened, you're like, I ain't never seen that before. I mean, it was the craziest thing ever, you know. I probably said that about 17
1: times when I was in South Dakota. (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you're saying all this because, you know, it, you it, tagged out, you killed, you killed your limit in Georgia and got
0: beat out there. You keep beating yourself up about that. You were in bad hunting conditions. That's the third person we've heard say I'm it, Nick,
1: so. I, I, I'm just saying though, it just, it just feels good. I that, guarantee you. That, you know, he it wasn't due to bad calling. Or he might have so. been the one in the bottom of that hill. You was calling back and forth to? <laughs> no, they? we seen, we seen, we seen them guys. But um,
2: well, have you all? Now, I'll I'll ask you guys collectively, would you agree that when it is raining and 40-mile-an-hour wind, negative, or or, I should say uh, below 30-degree temperatures and overcast, would you call that optimal turkey hunting conditions? (laughs) Not in Georgia. (laughs) I'm going to
0: call it set my eyes in the bed uh, hunting conditions. (laughs)
2: So eight of the 10 days I hunted in South Dakota, that's what I had. God
3: almighty. You
2: did One it. of the days it
0: was 11 degrees. Wow. That's a, that, that that is insane to try Nate, to think you could kill a... This coming from an ignorant uh, Georgia boy that they ain't never went nowhere turkey hunting. When I think turkey season, I'm thinking rattlesnakes, <laughs> snake boots, yeah, and sweating right. my butt off of the thermocell around yep. my neck because the bugs is eating me up. I had a Mr. Buddy heater <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the fir-
1: I think the first morning I told them The first morning we were there was I don't know when it was three weeks ago It was 29 degrees There was frost on the ground <laughs> It was and, and, mm-hmm. and spitting and I, snow yeah, was spitting snow that afternoon I'm like you gotta be kidding me But mm-hmm. it still didn't stop them From gobbling
3: so. Yeah
2: no they'll, they'll still gobble up In the tree just they get a little tight lip You know when they get down but I think um, there was probably three or four days that I was hunting out there that y'all was out there same you know, the exact same three or four days. That's right. Uh, I think we had an overlap. But um, yeah, it was some of the toughest conditions, you know, that I'd ever dealt with. And, you know, there's people that I'm sure people even listening, you know, they might go, oh, "Wow, well, he must just suck. Exactly. Apparently... You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. (laughs) Because I threw everything I had at it and it it wasn't working.
1: Well, Um, everybody that we had talked to before we went was like, oh man, them Miriams, they're easy. They're easy. They come right to you. They come bull crap. (laughs) Them things got a set of wheels on them.
2: Yeah. Well, and so that's, that's another misconception is there has been some video content of Miriams. Um, Now this content is going back three, four, seven years ago. Uh, where you'll see big flocks of Miriams, like 50 to 200 in a flock. So they don't have the same numbers that they used to. Mm-hmm. The numbers are down. I mean, you know, it's a bad deal when you go to a gas station and, you know, again, and I don't work with five hour energy, but man, I do consume a lot of them when I'm on the road. Yeah. You go to pick up a monster or something like that at a gas station and the store clerk, Says y'all have any luck? No, no, we we've, we've been getting close, but um, just just ain't had no birds. You know, commit to the to the decoys or to the calls. And then she says, "Man, that's what everybody's been saying. I haven't talked to a single guy in camo that actually killed a bird this year." Yeah, wow. I looked at my camera guy and I was like, "This ain't good." This is,
1: well, ever <laughs> this most of the good. people that we've seen in the service stations out there said you guys should just hunt town. That's where all the birds are. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that's not where the Black Hills is, so we couldn't hunt in town.
3: Yep, but,
2: yep. Hey. And, I, and I did hunt a lot of ground, a lot of Forest Service ground around Custer, around some private pieces. But there was one, and I feel like an idiot for doing it. I sat up on a piece for like three days and just said, you know what? Stay the course. Eventually, one of these birds is going to slip up. He didn't, not once. Yeah. In three days, he never lost. He never left that piece of private. He stayed on a three-acre chunk of private for three days. Never right. left it.
1: Man, we we got off one of those roads over there on Custer, and I I would have to look up the name of it. I can't remember. But we went back there, and they were logging some timber. And mm-hmm. I sure you, I'm sure you've seen a lot of that out there too. That they're logging all mm-hmm. that timber, basically everywhere you went. And they had you know the cattle crossings are forever out there. And and they had a cattle crossing up and had a metal gate. And we pulled through that metal gate one day. We come out after lunch and was going to go up to Custer to grab something to eat. And that gate was locked. Oh, no. Yeah, I told my dad, I said, man, I don't know how we're going to get around this thing. And my first thought was, I'm going to have to take a number five and try (laughs) to blow this lock off without putting my eyes out. Right. uh, uh, But luckily, they had like one of those ATV trails around the side and that truck that we had rented thank god it fit around it um
2: yeah just but, narrow enough to get through there
1: yeah but yeah. we 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 were able to squeeze around it but um it, it's very overwhelming to me and that's what i told these guys and we actually dropped one of our episodes today just that that much land is very overwhelming where to go if you've never done it before
2: it is it's because i mean you look at it and you're like i don't even know where to start and oh. you start re- realizing how nice it is playing on home turf you know yes where well, I was on this highway the other day, and I see some birds strutting over there. You know what? I bet they roost over there in those, in, in, you know, in that drainage or something. Or I bet they roost over there in those pines. Um, again, you know, like I talked about earlier, you know, you, living where you hunt offers huge advantages. You know, you're you're automatically at a huge disadvantage whenever you go out of state. Now, you hope that the newness or the new animal and the new challenge is enough to outweigh the lack of intel, lack of history and lack of knowledge. You know, you hope that that's, that balances itself out, but, uh, I'll be honest, man, as much as I love hunting and I love chasing birds, um, this year I got, I let myself get beat up a little too much mentally. And I remember the last day, that I was in South Dakota because I ended up making three separate trips. I hunted two days, then I hunted seven days and then I hunted one day. And this last trip that I was just out there on Saturday, we, we worked five different birds in five different drainages. We called the birds completely out of the drainage to the top. And on average, we probably called these birds in about 300 yards and they would get to 50 yards, and that's it. They wouldn't take another step further. Wow, I've never had so many short-commit birds ever. And then the very last sit, we said, you know what? We're just going to go to where we know they're roosting at last night. And we're going to go there. We're just going to sit there. We're going to whitetail hunt these birds. Screw it. If they don't want to play ball, (laughs) we're going to play their game. And... I had a bird pitch down from a nearby ridge and it's almost like, you know, whenever your mom tells you you got to be home at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock and it's like eight mm-hmm.
0: coming in on you run right red open. lights if you have to. Yeah. You are
2: I straight ahead, tunnel vision. I just got to make it to the front porch or, you know, I'm going to get my butt skinned. This bird pitched down from a nearby ridge and he come in hot. And the same speed that he was flying, when his feet hit the ground, he kept that same speed. So he landed five yards from me. And by the time I could even start to draw my bow, he was already at 45. I mean, just picking them up and putting them down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I looked at my buddy and I said, I can't even kill a bird if it falls in my lap. <laughs> like this bird literally fell in my lap. I was like, there is some opposing force out there, whether a person is a believer or a non-believer or they believe in aliens. There was something I'm convinced in South Dakota that was like, you ain't killing a bird. It ain't happening. Yeah. You are not killing a bird this year.
1: Did you, did you mention earlier that you think the the turkey numbers are down in Iowa also?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know they are. Yeah. We've um, just, you know, farms that I've hunted since I've moved here, um either well, I, I can't I can't say I suspect they're down. Or the birds have just stopped gobbling and I don't think that's the case. So I suspect that the numbers are down.
1: I think that's everywhere right now, man. I don't think it's mm-hmm. I don't think it's South Dakota. I don't I don't think it's just South Dakota. I don't think it's just Iowa, I think it's everywhere.
2: Yep. So yep. well, there's a farm that I used to hunt in Kentucky. Like if somebody said you've got to kill an Eastern tomorrow, there's one property I'm going to, and I'm going to, it's going to take me eight and a half hours from my house to drive there, but I'll do it because I know that I'll kill a bird within 30 minutes of being on this property. I've killed five birds on this farm and I have a total of maybe two and a half hours of sitting to kill those five birds total. And I talked to that landowner the other day and I said, how many birds y'all kill this year? He said, oh, it was kind of a bad year. I said, well, did you only kill about 27 of them? <laughs> and he said, no, we killed one.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. So there's something going on. I mean, a, I don't know. There is something going on, man. I heard
0: Jim Ronquist talking last night on his live on, on Instagram. I, I I don't know if we, – we had him on, what, 10, 12, 15 episodes ago, mm-hmm. and he was talking about that, the birds – throughout the industry that people are having. Now, don't look like poor old Mark Drury's having any trouble up there in Iowa killing Heck his. No, they're,
2: <laughs> they're, they're murking them turkeys this <laughs> year. Yes,
0: they've been dropping them left and right. But it, it's, it, it was cool to see Jim mention that last night and kind of go through the struggles he's seen throughout the industry. And I know that everybody we've talked to has had struggle with it, except Dave. Dave Mark Dave, Drury's <laughs>
2: got so many deer and turkey on his property. If you watch their seasons throughout the whole thing, it will get to the point where they're like, they're finding like anybody that works for them. Like you got a cousin, you got a girlfriend. <laughs> she want to kill something. Bring her on out
0: here. He can kill one too.
1: I wish, they, I like, wish they'd call them. Yeah. talk about it boys there here <laughs> in Georgia. Yeah.
0: we working, we're working on them. Maybe we'll get a call on that one.
2: <laughs> Man, I tell you what, I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, they, they, they don't seem, they, they don't seem to have the problem over there with their birds but no there's definitely something there's something up i mean i'm good friends with uh like michael and sean from Heartland bow hunter and you know they struggle this year and they're usually some turkey killers um them boys I think they kill kill one bird each
0: yeah them boys is killers of anything
2: <laughs> yep yep um so yeah i know they struggled and i know uh, hunzucker he actually put out some information on uh I think it was like a thirty four percent drop in harvest numbers from last year to this year
0: in Missouri. That's crazy. And it's that's substantial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what uh um David Wozniak was talking about um from Ohio, that it was down mm-hmm. use season was down twenty seven percent on harvest. I saw him post on yep. his Instagram. And that's crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. you gotta think. People think these turkeys is
1: getting easier to kill and it seems like it's getting harder, boys. They are. They're they're dropping Nate? us. Uh, well, we're probably ninety, what ninety five percent sure they're going to yeah. drop us to two turkeys next year instead of three, in Georgia because Nick keeps killing so many. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 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 it ain't me. So let's let's spin off. Uh, Alex has got something he wants to bring up, and we'll spin off with turkey hunting and get back into deer hunting.
0: You still there, John? I thought, oh, he must have dropped off in a hole. <laughs> oh, I thought he had left. <laughs> I was like, where did he go? We got off turkey uh, hunting. He, hung yeah, up. he said, I'm yeah. done with this. He said, I don't even want to talk about turkey <laughs> hunting no more. I'm going to tell oh, you that. Oh, <laughs> my. His
1: phone, bad, phone may have died. It may have. I reached Errol Wildlife.
0: <laughs> oh, well. oh, but you know what? It, it's, it's something pretty cool to hear. The way that he came up and starting as a second kind of generation hunter and getting into what he's doing, he said, calling back on his later part of life. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, I won't tell sorry
2: about that, guys. <laughs> my uh, my phone just dropped out of nowhere.
1: I told uh, Alex, I said, "Let's." I said, "I said Alex is want to ask you something, John. We're gonna switch off turkeys and go into deer, and it hung up." <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just not today, you not. Kind of coinc- <laughs> yeah. it, it was coincidental that it worked that way, but uh, when I, I heard, "Are right, John? Are you still there?" I was like, "Yeah." And as soon as I said yes, then my phone went. It, it said, "Call failed." I was like, "Man,
3: <laughs>
0: oh, Southeast <that's->
2: Iowa, man." <laughs> I, I didn't move here for the gravel and the Wi-Fi.
0: Are you out there on the gravel's way off?
2: Uh, you know, I I have um, I forget what they call this. It's like when they take gravel and they throw some tar on top of it. Um, it's not really blacktop,
1: dirt rock. I guess. That's, that's, what, that's, what, that's what they call I forty through Arkansas. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, I mean, if I go out there and I cut my wheels, I'll dig a hole. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, there's gravel all around me.
0: But. I gotta, I gotta ask you something, John. And yes, you, you may have laid your hands on it, male. Um, that deer that Don killed. That's uh-huh. you know now what the number two typical ever killed in the state of in uh, Illinois. No. numbers. yeah. Uh-huh. Did, have you put your hands on that deer?
2: I have not. I haven't. Um, I was actually hoping to last time I was over there at the Real World Shop picking up some some food plot seeds and stuff, but um, yeah, he he wasn't in there. So
0: it's, it, I have
2: not, but it's I know it's impressive.
0: Yeah, and looking at the pictures and stuff and seeing. We got the story directly from Don through a, a mutual mm-hmm. contact. I was able to get on the phone with Don, and then we had him on the podcast. And, it, it is, and i got to ask this to somebody that's met him in person because, unfortunately, we've never met him you know, face-to-face. Is Don as real deal as he seems on the phone in person?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so in person, he's actually more shy. Really? Yep. Yep. He's more shy in person. Um, he, um, you know, he's not a guy that likes to talk about himself very much no, and I think not on, at all. on the, on the phone. I can get him to cut up a little bit, right? especially when I get him going on, you know, him and I both share the same love for number 45. And, um, so if I get him talking about Trump, boy, he gets, he, you know, he'll get excited. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> um, but like, in person, I mean, he's quiet. He's extremely, extremely modest. Very humble. Um, he knows he's a turkey, you know, or a big buck killer. You know, he, he knows he knows he's he's a big buck killer. Um, he's just really, really intelligent, and he's one of those guys that I've always looked up to. That, in my opinion, he he hunts for all the right reasons. Um, and some people say, well, all he does is go after big bucks. Well, every time I go in the woods, I'm not hoping to shoot a 90-incher.
0: <laughs> That's right. Know.
2: I mean, we're all guilty of that. So, yeah. um,
0: But the thing about Don is is he's not going to beat up a guy that shoots a 120 until that guy starts saying he wants to kill a 180. That's correct. the thing I like about Don because he'll he'll congratulate a guy that shoots a 120-inch deer until that guy says, man, I wish I could kill a 180. And he says that, Don's going to take that, and he's going to run with it, and say, you got to let them 120s and 130s walk if you want to kill one bigger.
2: Correct. Correct.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's
2: pretty blunt. You know, there was um, – so I had started working with Don uh, a long time ago. Um, I was actually one of the – I think I was one of the only one or the only two people – that was doing a lot of mineral testing for Don back in like 2014. And this was three years before he ever came out with the mineral. And um, then when I sold Wicked, I actually went to work for Tecamani. Tecamani, uh, Bucks of Tecamani and Tecamani mm-hmm. Food Plus Seed, that's who bought Wicked. And a part of the deal, the buyout, was I had to come and work and be their director of marketing of all of their brands for three years. So, here I am now working for Techamani, and Don's like, so you still going to use our products on your show? I'm like, "Ee, that might get me in some hot water, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I said, I'm going to use it a little bit, but I, I have to promote Techamani, you know? And uh, Don's like, no, I mean, I get it. It's, it's a business thing. I know, that, I know that if you had your choice, you would use real world. And I said, now, if you want to pay me what Tecamani's paying me, <laughs> um, by all means. And Tecamani was paying me very well, you know, like I said, to be a director of marketing of all those brands. But um, as soon as I left Tecumani, Don was one of the first phone calls that I made. And I said, I'm back in the fold. He's like, you're back in? He's like, okay. Number one, we'd love to have you back. Number two, what the heck happened? You know, I told him about me leaving Tecumani. And he's like, okay, cool, we got that out of the way. Yeah, just send me a list of what you need. Send me the contract. We want. We'd love to work with you again. You know. So um, that was what was really nice about Don is he didn't let any personal things get in the way of business and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and a very professional guy. Yeah, and the first night that I spoke with him, it was it, it was almost if you were talking to a friend in a way. Yeah, and I was. Yep. I'm like a little schoolgirl sitting there on the phone with somebody that I'd (laughs) read stories of for my entire hunting life and getting to speak with him that night on, on our podcast. And we went through it and man, the way he carries himself and the way that he delivers everything that he puts out there, there's no, there's no holds barred when it comes to Don. He's going to tell you exactly what he thinks, Yep. but he does it with an, with a sense of elegance and class. Yep. To where people can respect it, you may not like it, but you're gonna respect it. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, he's he's done a
2: very, uh, he does a very good job of getting his point across, which may be completely opposing to yours, but you're not gonna take it in a negative way.
0: Kind of, um, kind of reminds me of Johnny Utah a little bit. <laughs> it does. It does. sure does. I don't know.
2: I probably ruffled more feathers than Don. <laughs> it sure does. There's a few boys in prison that I assure you don't like me. <laughs> oh no.
0: Hey, I got to ask this question now. Mm-hmm. What kind of broadheads do you shoot? Because I know Don. I, shoot- I know. I know how he is about those those expandable broadheads. I don't know if that's something that you you kind of carry <laughs> with you as well.
2: No, no, I. Um, I, you know, I started out shooting uh, G5 Montec broadheads a long time ago. Yep. And, um, you know, it's fail-safe, right? It's tried and true. Not the biggest hole in the world, but uh, you're not going to have any failures. And then G5 started coming out with some mechanical broadheads. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm in bed with G5 at that time. And I was like, I'll, I'll give these broadheads a shot. And uh, I always said I would... I would give mechanicals a shot until I had a failure and then I had a failure. And so that was it. You know, um, I won't, I won't ever shoot mechanical broadheads ever again. And, um, this past fall I made the switch to iron wheel broadheads and they're pricey. Uh, very pricey. I mean, a uh, three packs, a hundred bucks. Sounds um, like those grizzly
0: sticks that, that was the X shooting.
2: Yep. but what I can say about the iron wheels, is I shot a Kansas buck through the spine last year and, and recut, you know, dropped that buck. Uh, but when I say it went through his spine, it went completely through and I found the arrow 40 yards, later, completely split his spine in half. Um, and then I pulled out another iron wheel and, you know, finished him off right away. But, um, that original broadhead that went through the spine, I cleaned it up. And I ended up killing all three of my turkeys this year with the same broadhead as well. So, I was trying to kill all four, you know, with that same broadhead. But um, so, as long as you don't lose one, like, that's it. You won't ever buy no more. Yeah. So, I've been very, very impressed uh, with the Iron Wheel broadheads. Not sponsored by them. Um, just fully, fully believe, you know, uh, believe in them.
0: I think that goes with anything you do whether it's the clothing you wear, the boots you're wearing, the broadhead you're shooting, the bow you're shooting which which brings up an interesting point oh, there. Here we go. You you I believe you shoot a Hoyt bow, don't you, uh John? I I do. Oh I do. my goodness. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Praise yeah. the Lord. We there got we another go. one on board for this boys. Oh yeah. John's
1: lot. a good one.
2: <laughs> yeah, I made the switch to Hoyt um and I'll tell you how that deal went down um I was in pretty deep with, with prime for a lot of years and, um, you know, kind of felt like I was, you know, in the click, you know, I was running around with Matt Zinger and Holt and Corey Jacobson and stuff like that. And I thought, man, this is, this is cool. You know, I'm rubbing elbows with some, some big dogs, you know, and whatnot. Um, but I remember one time they invited us all to go to one of the Toll archery challenge shoots and we all checked into our cabin and in the cabin was like Remy Warren, Jason Matzinger, Corey Jacobson, Sam Soho, Steve Eklund, and me. And I looked around, and I said, I guess y'all needed somebody to do laundry and dishes or something, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I thought, man, I don't belong in this class of dudes, you know. But, uh, and then, I don't know, just, you know, that, to me, the biggest problem with companies is usually themselves, you know. Positions change, people inside companies change and, and, uh, culture changes, whatever, maybe a brand wants to go a different direction and maybe they wanted to go a different direction that did not include me. Um, but I, I just kind of felt like the culture had changed a little bit and maybe it was time for me to change some stuff up on my end. And, um, I thought, you know, I've been so loyal to prime for so many years that I hadn't even shot any of the new bows for the last several years. Right. And how can I firmly say that this is the best bow out there if I don't even I haven't even shot these other bows. So I started making tour of different bow shops, man. And, and during my travels of doing photo shoots for some clients at one time I was in Pennsylvania and I shot a couple of bows there, but I was at my local bow shop here in Iowa and I shot a couple of bows and when it was all said and done, the Hoyt was the bow that I liked the most. And I was never a Hoyt fan to begin with. Um, I thought their draw cycle was just kind of aggressive. Harsh. And I, it just, yeah, it just didn't feel good to me. But with this new cam system, totally not the case. Um, it's just butter, butter smooth. So um, I thought, man, this might be a bow I want to work with. And then, you know, I had some industry buddies that reached out and said, hey, Saul, that you're a, uh, you know shooting a bunch of bows what's going on and I just said well you know I took the high road and didn't really give them all my reasons for wanting to leave prime but um I said man I'm really digging this Hoyt and next thing I know you know phone call from from the guys and um you know they wanted to talk about you know working a deal out so um yeah the decision was made pretty quick and I just, uh, I got my Venom 30 all set up, ready to go. And then actually just today, UPS dropped off my RX-5. So I'll probably work on getting that
0: set up next week. I'm jealous. <laughs> that RX-5 is a bad mamma jamma. We're, definitely,
2: we're definitely house divided over here. So that's... Yeah, we got a Prime, a
0: Matthews, and a, and a Hoyt guy all in. And I'll yeah. be honest, like you said, I went from a, a Vector 35 turbo to a... Uh, Defiant and that defiant, I hated uh-huh. that bow. I'm a Hoyt guy, been a Hoyt homer for a long time, and I hated that bow. And I sold it and bought and an, yep. an, an Axis, and I absolutely love it. So it's it's one of those things that change when things change. You got to change with them or, or find something else to shoot. And Nick was a Matthews guy for years and shot. Now he's shooting a Prime, and Cody's been yep. a Matthews guy for far back as I can remember. So and it's they're all main, the mainline bows are great in any way all- you find.
2: Yeah, and I've said this too, I mean, the 2021 lineup, if you look at any of the flagship bows with any of the big ones, you know, Matthews Prime, Hoyt, uh, Bowtech, uh, Elite, you know, any of those brands, I mean, they're all great bows. I mean, I feel like, you know, every year there's always one or two bows that really stand out. This year, it's like splitting hairs between, you know, any of the top five, six bow models out there. So it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it really comes down to exactly what your feel is. And for me, you know, working, you know, in, in the industry, it's, uh, I've said this motto before, I I need to get it printed up on shirts, but it's product first, or I'm sorry, people first, product second, but they both better be awesome. And that's (laughs) That's kind of the way I've made my decisions with a lot of the brands, because I mean, let's face it. You know, there's a lot of good camo brands out there. There's a lot of good boot companies out there. There's a lot of good food plot seed out there. So for me, it's it's more important for me to work with the good people, the people that I have that relationship with, and and brands that want to invest in me as much as I want to invest in them. You know,
1: that's right. I, I that's cannot right.
0: wait to get me a work more hours t-shirt. I, I know. Really? I, was, <laughs> I was that was one of the questions
1: I wrote down where we could where we could get those at. Um
0: Yeah, yeah, Uh
2: yeah. Workmorehours.com.
1: Okay. Hey, I know we're running this thing a little long, and I got a few more questions, but let's, let's rock and roll, man. Let's talk about the cat masters real quick. Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, you've got uh, to talk about that. because yeah. We got guys Look, uh, that
1: listen I mean we're i mean we're we're in the deep south. you know how big catfishing is down here?
2: Oh, yeah, big blues, yeah, yeah. big flatties. oh
1: yeah what so what what sparked that and what started all that?
2: <laughs> so um i i have I have a friend of mine, uh my friend Leslie. Her and her husband, they run a veteran nonprofit, and they're in Pennsylvania. And they're both—they uh, were both in, in the Marine Corps. And I met—I met Leslie initially through Hannah Barron, uh, actually. And Hannah Barron, she she introduced us, um, and. Leslie and I, we were, you know, we had chit chat here and there, and she said, "Hey, she's like, you know, I do some work with this thing called the Cat Masters," and I was like, "What the heck is the Cat Masters?" <laughs> she said it's this pretty big catfishing tournament deal, and and they, the owner, I know him, and just the other day he mentioned something about needing a photographer for, um, you know, for a shoot, and I said, "Okay, um, I've never done that before, but I'm I feel pretty confident that I can do it." So I got in touch with the owner, he hired me to come down and shoot one of their one of their tournaments. And I had a good time. Cool. They got some cool photos. I you know, I made money, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. And then the next thing I know, I get a call from Sea Arc uh boats. And Sea Arc, uh there in Arkansas, you know, that's like the Mercedes-Benz of catfishing boats, you know. And so they called and they said, Hey, um, we're we'd like to book you to come down to florida to shoot all of our 2021 catalog photos for all of our new boats so i went down there and did that and then Catmasters calls again wants me to do another tournament another tournament another tournament now i'm getting to know all these people and and now I'm starting to really pay attention. I'm like, man, there's just some big daggone blues that they're pulling out of these waters. You know, I've been all over Alabama, Gardnersville, Mike Wilson and all that stuff. And I thought, man, this is this is pretty cool. So I, it started out as a joke. I said, hey, Leslie, wouldn't it be kind of funny if I went fishing one time and and produced an episode? Like, take a guy who's a bow hunter and just set me set me loose on some water so they set up the arrangements and i flew out to dc and was fishing on the potomac and um i ended up catching over 600 pounds of fish in like four hours and i think my biggest one was 50 53 pounds
0: yeah i flew that day
2: and And and, that and uh, you
0: you pulled that one up i remember hearing you on working class talk about that and you was like Oh, this is a pretty good one, ain't it? And then they told you how big of ones they had caught, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, it was crazy. And so, you know, and then it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of snowballed. I mean, Livingston Lures, I do some work with them and catch the fever rods. I do work with them. That's actually the photo shoot that I'm flying out tomorrow to go do. Um, They're developing a new coastal line of rods. Um, but like nocturnal nation hooks, doing work with those guys, cast King. Um, it's just, it's, it's kind of gotten crazy, um, how I've kind of gotten into this catfishing thing. And, and I'm by no mean a pro at it. I mean, I am, I'm am still amateur status, but it is a ton of fun, man. I, I mean, I, I'm having a blast.
1: i have a question. <laughs> Have you yep. seen have you seen that catfish that looks like a Volkswagen beetle yet?
3: No.
2: Have you no. heard
1: have you heard that? That's all I've heard all my uh-uh. life. That's all I've heard all my life. The big you know, those divers go down in so and so lake and th- those catfish are big as Volkswagen beetles. That's all I've yeah, ever heard. I mean,
2: I've heard about it. Yeah, that's, I mean, all, I, I, that's I've, all I've ever heard, but I've yeah. never
1: seen one. That's all I have no, always me been scared neither. of Carter's Lake. Yeah, they say they're in Lake Lanier, this the biggest lake in Georgia we have here. That's what they say about it down at the dam, but Nobody's ever pulled Uh, one out, so.
2: There was a, well, the owner of uh, Cat Masters, his name's Brian St. Alma, he lives in Texas. There was some waters, and I want to say it was either Georgia or Alabama, that they were fishing, and they were by, they were by some lock somewhere, and there were divers that were down there doing something, doing some repair work, and those divers come up out of the water, and there was like two of them, and they were like we're not getting back in the water. And they're like, what do you mean? Job's not done. And they said, well, you can hire somebody else. Go do it. And the guy, the guy was like, visually, visually like he was shook up and they said, what the heck's going on? And supposedly he thought he was standing on a piece of the dam, like a platform underwater. And then the platform moved. Ooh, <laughs> nope. Not me either.
1: <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. I wouldn't even been down there in yep. the first place. but
2: Yep, and I thought, man, you know that water. is just muddy, brackish water. Like, you can't see nothing, you know? I thought, mm, mm. no, no. But, I mean, the biggest one that I've seen at one of those tournaments is there's been, like, some 97-pounders that have come to weigh-ins and stuff. Trump. Man, that's – yeah, I mean, I'm take your whole leg. Yeah, Easy. that's shoot you. Ain't gonna
0: take my old leg unless I fall in, boys. I'm gonna go ahead and
1: tell you. It <laughs> <laughs>
0: gets my whole leg. And that I'm drowning. That
1: thing could <laughs> take your whole body until he you realize you a firefighter.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're big. It'll be hard exam. to swallow. <laughs> hey, he might swallow narrow wise. It's gonna be hard to swallow six two all the way down. <laughs> hey, John.
1: They're big. Hey, John. Let's uh let's shift off uh of catfishing real quick. I know we could talk all night about all these things, yeah. but. Um, you you said earlier that the first time you pulled up a gun here a while back, and you mm-hmm. you took a did you say a hog with an yep. AR yep. with an AR and it, mm-hmm. go go into why you were shooting that gun.
2: Yep. So, um, you know, after I left policing, um, you know, there was a lot of for me, a gun did kind of represent policing to me, and uh, when I when I got out of that career. I didn't know that it was the right decision at that time. Um, So to me, I just, I just didn't shoot any guns, even for fun. I didn't go to any ranges. I didn't do any target shooting, you know, uh, shot my handgun here or there, but I didn't shoot any ARs or any bomb guns or anything at all. And um, back when I owned Wicked Tree Gear, I actually sponsored uh, Kip Campbell and Red Arrow TV. And, Kip and I were, you know, good buddies and still have remained good buddies, Kip and his wife, Kat. And, um, I saw that Kip was starting this Red Arrow Weapons and I kind of followed along as a marketing business guy. You know, it was just, it's always interesting to me to see new companies develop. And, and of course I try to Monday morning quarterback a lot of that stuff. Like what would I do differently? Or would I do my marketing campaign differently or whatever? But, um, I just kind of kept an eye on what they were doing. And then, This past year we were at a trade show um, and I was helping Maven Optics run their booth and Kip uh, was there with Red Arrow Weapons right next to us. So for nine days, Kip and I just got to goof off and man, him and I get together and there's like not a serious moment like the entire time. We're literally just rolling, cracking jokes the entire time. And we posed, we posed for a goofy photo and the caption was like bad boys, you know? And we both had like smug looks on our face and we're holding these ARs. And uh, his, uh, his marketing guy, uh, his social media guy reached out and said, hey, I know you're not a gun hunter, but would you ever have any interest in doing anything with red arrow weapons? And I was like,
3: I don't know,
2: maybe, you know, I don't know, let's talk. And conversations kind of went dead for a while. And then they reached back out and said, what do you think? And I said, look, with today's culture, with what's going on, these things might get taken away or you might not be able to buy these anymore. Heck yeah. Let's do, let's do something on some ARs, you know? And uh, so anyways, they, they send a couple, a couple of AR platforms this way and, and I set up an arrangement when I was down in Texas chasing, chasing turkeys. I said, Hey, in between our turkey hunt midday, let's go do a little hog hunting. So that's what we did. We, I took a new rifle down there, sighted it in. And um, I shot that hog at, I think it was 176 yards.
0: But wow. um, so good with an AR, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, Not hel- bad. Not no, no
2: helicopter yet. No, no, um, I would love to do a helo hunt, yeah. Oh, me um, I would really love to do that. It's kind of expensive, but um,
0: it's like two if grand I find for a way what, to make that happen? It's like two grand it's for what, like like four two, hours, like two grand something. an
2: hour, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's pretty pricey. But, Get up, uh, Uncle I think Ted. I hit, right
0: yeah, I'd love to hear you and Uncle Ted on one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like Kip yeah, they, though. I like what he stands for, so I could see y'all working well
3: together. He's he's straight to the he's point. He's a good too. dude. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, his dad his dad's a retired cop. Um, so yeah, him and I have always kind of clicked there. And uh, you know, and, and when I talk about people first, product second, um, I'm old school. Handwritten notes are big for me. Uh, I like doing them, and I like receiving them, and Whenever Kip and Kat shipped me my gun in the box, there's a handwritten note from Kip and it said, you know, let's get after it, Patriot. And little things like that just mean a lot to me. And, and that's really what Kip is all about. Um, so that's that's a huge thing for me. And, you know, if if I was 99 percent on board, I became 100 percent on board when I got that handwritten note from him, you know
0: yeah kip's kip's one of those guys that have came up in the industry from uh, you didn't see him a lot and then boom he blows onto the scene and everybody loves him because of what he stands for and he just presents himself as a as a positive you know just loves to have fun loves to have a good time i Mm want i will never forget the episode when he was hunting with real tree when he talked about being in camp with it probably meant as much to me as any episode out there. And I don't know if anybody here has even seen it, but the episode he was hunting with uh, David Blanton from Real uh, on the Milk uh-huh. River and where they were at 7J maybe. And he talked about how, you know, he really realistically talked about how he found religion on that trip. I mean, it, he went into it and he could not, he couldn't hold himself together. And it was just a real emotional moment that he let himself be exposed to that stood mm-hmm. out in my mind and it made me love the guy from, from then on it's been cause you look at him as kind of a goofy guy in the industry and, and that's what I love anyway. But when you put that real raw emotion out there for people to see, man, yeah. that, that means more to me than anything. I'd rather see that as I had, you shoot a one eighty, Okay, cool. You killed a 180 inch deer. That's great. But that real raw, just pure, pure, emotion that any man can relate to has got a relationship with God that was that was cool to me I really enjoyed seeing that out of him
2: yep you know it's when I when I had my my Kansas hunt um this year I actually went back twice and and on the second trip is when I shot my buck and I was self-filming that hunt and uh I had the camera set up on a tripod and I'm like okay you know going through the checklist you know all right I killed the buck I need to do a little post post hunt you know interview here with the deer and you know, talk about the hunt a little bit and because I was self-filming, I'm like, I'm going to have to kind of explain what happened a little bit more because I don't have the video footage, you know, to show everything. But, um, I, it took me like 20 minutes to do that interview because I couldn't stop crying. I was just bawling and bawling. I was happy. I was sad. I was thinking about my dad. I mean, at that point I had just buried my dad like four days prior to that. And, um, so it was, That was, that was a tough, tough deal. And and I, and I kind of, you know, toyed with the idea, like, do I want to put that, do I want to put that out there? But, you know, I don't care if people see that I'm emotional right now, but I, I didn't end up using the footage because I was crying so hard. I was like a blubbering idiot. You couldn't understand me. (laughs) 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 I mean, I was, I was in pieces, man, you know, but, uh, but no, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's not all about the macho bravado side of things. And these guys that do their grippy grins and they're, they're looking like they hate the world. Like dude, smile.
1: Like you're having fun, you know? Exactly. Ear to ear. You're exactly right, man. We're, it's missing out there. Yep.
0: What we say at the end of every episode, smile as you go, you know, and it, it continues to, continues to speak volumes. When I see those and and we did it for years, and we were just like, you know, everybody else. We were, you know, we'd take a picture with coyotes we had taken or, or deer or whatever it may be, and you'd have this smug look on your face, and you look back at it, and you're like, why did I look like I wasn't having a good time? I know. And, yep, and Cody yep. look back I, on it, and it's like, smile. Hey, let's let's yep. smile at this. Why, why don't we got to look mad all yep. the time? Yeah. No, I'm the same way. I've done it, you know. You
2: know, I, I've done it myself. I've got pictures where I'm like, I look back at some pictures. I'm like, why in the heck wasn't I smiling? You know, and I was like, oh yeah, I was trying to be too cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: trying to be mean looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm a tough, I'm a big old tough hunter.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, as yeah. we're kind of winding this thing up here, John, um, Nick's, yeah, sure. Nick's got a couple of questions he closes out every okay. episode with, but one one I wanted to ask um, yeah. that, that kind of stuck out in my mind as we were going through this, let's say John Mulligan has one hunt. Left to go on in his life, uh, what would what game would it be for, and who would it be with? Ooh. Um, that's kind of a tough. Probably one. Probably elk. Okay.
2: Because <laughs> I haven't killed one yet. I do have a Idaho elk tag this year. I uh, went on my first elk hunt last year and uh, got close, but didn't didn't get it done. Um, elk. Is I mean, there, there's a lot of animals that are on my bucket list, but, yeah. you know, like moose and grizzly and stuff like that. But um, elk is way up there. So I'll go with elk. And man, I'll tell you, a guy that I really connect with uh, on a conservation level, on an appreciation of stewardship and just the, the animals and appreciation for the animals and, and the planet uh, would be Jason Matzinger. Jason Matzinger is a really good friend of mine and the amount of work that he does with uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and, and Mule Deer Foundation with, you know, Pro- Project Mule Deer and stuff like that. Um, he's just, he's a guy that I've looked up to for so many years and um, that uh, I, I'll never forget the first time we met even, you know, he had just won, um, he had won uh, a film at the Badlands Film Fest one year. I didn't know him from Adam and I walked up to him and I was like, Hey, Jason, Matt Singer, uh, you know, John Mulligan, man, just wanted to come over and take congratulations. You know, very moving film and phenomenal job on producing it. And he's like, John Mulligan. He's like, why'd you say that? And he's like, I already know who you are. <laughs> and,
1: uh, that probably felt and good. I was like,
2: I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, well, may I tell you what next year, you better have a film in this field because your stuff is good enough to be in this stuff. So, Next year, you better have a film in this this you know this film tour, and I was like, oh yeah 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 uh uh yeah, and I walked away. I literally went outside, called my wife, and I was like, Jason Matzinger knows who the hell I am. (laughs) I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. You know what I mean? I can get a speeding ticket and stepping i gum on the way home. I'll be all right. (laughs) So no, he's just Jason's a really really good guy in the industry through and through. Um, him and I talk a lot about business decisions and, and how we want to portray things. And, and, uh, and he's a guy that if somebody has something negative to say about him, it genuinely bothers him. So that's why I know he's, he's a really good person. And he's putting the real Jason out there, you know, every day. So, um, and he was the reason why I got into doing film and photo work in the first place. He was my first person that I looked up to, and said, "Man, I want to do that kind of work." So, the fact that I get to do it now um, is a uh, t- tip of the hat to him. So, I know it's a very long answer, but I felt he's a guy that deserves that um, recognition.
0: No, it's exactly what I was looking for in that, and in you know, chasing an elk, is something that that a couple of our members have expressed great interest in, and and mm. I hope they get to, I hope they get to carry that out. Me, myself, I've got something left to prove in this, this whitetail industry. Hell, I guess after this uh, few podcasts we've been doing, I'm going to become a turkey hunter. I I ain't never been much of a turkey (laughs) hunter, and these boys (laughs) have talked me into that. So,
2: you can't be from Georgia and not be all about chasing some
0: turkeys. That's what they
1: keep telling me, man. I'm a bass fisherman. He's almost on board. He (laughs) went twice this year. (laughs) There you go. Hey, John. Um, Man, you have several sayings, so maybe think outside the box on this. I'm gonna kinda of hit you with this. Uh what's a piece of advice you might give somebody, whether it be somebody that's coming up in the outdoors, maybe something that you learned several years ago that you still use today or something even in the filming industry, it don't you can just pick one or the other, but I mean I know you have several sayings, so try to think of something that you just use on on the daily that you don't say yeah. that you don't say enough about.
2: Just be yourself. I mean, don't don't try to copy anybody's thing. Do do your own thing. Be genuine to yourself. Be truthful to yourself. You know, don't lie to yourself. Um, a lot of times people will, they'll lie to themselves and they end up just letting themselves down. And some people can't rebound from that. Um, you know, not everybody has that. I got knocked down a hundred times. I'm going to get up, you know, 99. Um, so just, Always, always be, be true to yourself. Do it for the right reasons, because if you don't, when you do reach whatever level that you're trying to reach, you're not going to be happy with it. So, um, and, you know, in, in that same breath, live every single day like it's the last. I mean, tomorrow's not guaranteed. So you better be happy when you go to bed at the end of the night. Know that you did everything you could to work. You didn't have to, you don't have to achieve it but make sure that you've made a positive step forward towards whatever goal that is. And I don't care if you want to get into collecting butterflies. Just make every day a solid effort. Um, and Bet on yourself, right? Yourself.
1: Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself every yep. day. Yep. yep. What are you most thankful for, John Mulligan?
2: Uh, again, a different answer than I would have given as a kid, um, but I'm thankful for – a, a strong work ethic because I think a work ethic, um, goes, goes towards putting in that work in relationships and your family and your hunting, your hobbies, your work, yourself. Um, so that's what I'm most grateful and, and thankful for is that I had a father that instilled a strong work ethic in, in me as a kid. And I, it, it's, um, today's kids, I don't feel have that same drive.
1: I agree 100% man. John, I, I want to thank you, man, for coming on the episode. I want to thank you for uh, for taking my message when I messaged you and reached out to you. And, yeah, sure, you know I talked to you on the way home from work that day, and we probably talked for fifteen or twenty minutes. And yep, man, just everything you stand for. Like I said early on in the episode, I, I just really appreciate it. And I think I think you got a good thing going. And I think if you know more of the content you can put out there, and more of these younger guys coming up, even myself and younger or even older than me can relate to what you're doing and what you stand for. So I really do appreciate that. And I want to say, um, sorry to hear about your dad and keep your head up, man. I hope you have a good deer season and we'll spin this thing back around. Maybe, maybe mid deer season next, next year or this year.
2: Cool. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a plan, man. I, I appreciate you guys giving me a, give me an opportunity uh, to talk to you guys. I had a good time. Um, and, and I appreciate the, the kind words. I mean, I, Um, I do the best that I can and, 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 you know, know that anything I put out there is, is from the heart. Um, I'm not trying to impress anybody, but myself, you know what I mean? And, and that's the weird way to say that, but, um, I'm only competing with myself, just trying to do better than I did yesterday.
0: What you said most tonight that, that stuck with me, John, was you have to sell your passion and anything that you do, throughout the 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 pictures you post the videos that you make the continued efforts that you make for conservation or, or, or whatever it may be in your personal life that you're doing you can tell that you bring a passion that that most people don't in today's age don't carry with them and it relates mm-hmm. back to what you said about your dad instilling that worth ethic into you and uh yep. you know, ex- extend my condolences out to you on the loss of your father um still got mine here with me and, and I'm thankful every day for that. Get to spend a lot of time with him and, and definitely, uh, definitely will we'll take that as, as tonight's lesson to spend more time with the people that you care about and, uh, find those things that, that make, make you smile and, uh, and, and continue to make you grow as a person. And, I want to thank you 100%. for everything you do, and uh, I hey, I look, I hope, hopefully, we can get John Mulligan back on here again because uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to talk more as it goes well, into. Well, when, he, the when he's when he's
1: chasing the cat masters he needs to swing by Georgia up here in North Georgia. Yeah, we'll get we'll get we'll get you in here, man. We'll uh, put you up in a place to stay, and uh, you can yeah. just crash in here and talk to us for a little while. So, yeah. hey, you want to give a shout out to anybody real quick before we go?
2: Yeah, we'll um, see. Well, i tell you what, this is, I, and only because I had this question today. Uh, I posted something on my Instagram stories and somebody said, man, is that product, uh, is it, does it really work? And, and it, it kind of struck a chord with me. And I get it. Sometimes people can use some products or they might get paid to say this or paid to say that. And I've tried to make it very, very clear. I'll go back to eating ramen noodles tomorrow. I don't care. You know what I mean? I've been a rich man. I've been a poor man in my life, and I've done that roller coaster several times. If I'm working with a company, it's because it's a, they're good people and they have a good, solid product. There's no amount of money for me to sell my soul. You know what I mean? Um, so any of the brands that I'm working with, they are all really good people, and they've all supported me a ton. So if anybody follows my stuff and you see me endorsing a product, do me a favor at least give them a look check out what they got going on because i assure you they've got a good product um and again arrow Wild tv on youtube with carbon tv johnny.utah.hunt on instagram give me a follow send me a message um. Don't just be one of those weird followers that never likes anything or comments on anything. That's just kind of creepy. <laughs> um. But no. I mean. Dude, I mean, dude. Like you saw it firsthand. I'm a pretty personable guy. If somebody sends me a message. I'm gonna respond. Um.
1: So John, if you, if you. It, it, John, if you see a uh, okay. if you see a hundred five pound white guy with a with a fire fire <laughs> fireman's mustache comment on you. Yeah, it's a it's a real it's a real guy. It's Alex. It's a real guy. It ain't Fire Marshall Bill. No, it ain't
0: Fire bill. Dang, I think I'm gonna have to start eating more and getting back in the gym more. The 105 pounds, <laughs> golly, I'm bigger than that. Jesus, well, let's take yeah. a side
1: profile and they won't fake that. Oh man.
0: John Mulligan, <laughs> Air Wild TV, work more hours, Bourbon Barrel calls. He's a great guy, and he's a he's. I'm sure to become a future friend of talk about it outdoors for many can't years wait, to come. Man. And we can't wait to see what you bring to the table for the future, John. Thank, thank you. Thank you, man. I th- appreciate it, guys. Thank you for everything. And we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Thank, thank you, man. you.
1: Bye. All right. See you,
0: boys. Man, what a personable guy. You couldn't ask for for anything more than what he's bringing to the table. Not at all. Um, it's a different approach than, I guess, some of the. the past guests we've had on because john he's very divert and direct to the point but he he gets it he He gets what the little guys go through from coming from nothing he said just like he said he'll go back to eating ramen noodles tomorrow before he'll that's the same
1: thing we talked about yeah we're not gonna get behind something we don't believe in i mean you know if i can't use it and believe in
0: it you can throw a dollar at me and hey sorry i'm not gonna use it i mean I hate I hate to be like that, but you know we find things. and Why you keep smiling? I, I stop looking at the I, handlebars. I
1: can't take you serious for nothing. Uh,
0: maybe this is what y'all needed. Maybe this is what y'all needed for for me to bring to the table. Just keep, keep staring. At to get anymore. me one. <laughs> Golly, you yours won't. would be ridiculous. You could grow yours completely down your neck and back, connected I together. Could, but
1: if, I could, but if I cut my beard off, I look like a phone book. Look like a little Debbie pie box. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, a phone book uh,
0: uh. oh my goodness well i can say this nick when you made mention of john coming on the show and after i listened to him speak on the things that he's done and then watched him on youtube <laughs> it, why are you smiling, smiling yeah. no, i'm listening now. it's uh it's it's probably been one of my favorite episodes and I'm, it's been I, anybody that listens to this and can't take something from and i'm sorry you just just falling behind
1: i couldn't agree more man he's a he's very passionate what, about what he does and his his sayings or whatever you want to call it bet on yourself and work more hours I love those
0: yeah yeah and and I think that builds it can build character in anybody that's out here that's trying to do better for themselves if you're not working the maximum amount of hours you can a day and, and I sit here feeling guilty about things that I do on a day to day basis I'm not putting the time that I need to in to gain what I want out of life I try but you know, I can try all day long. I need to do better and, right. and work more hours and getting, but getting more But the passion out of it. has
1: to be there mm-hmm. for whatever it is.
0: Yeah, and I think you place passion as a as a back burner sometimes to some of the things that we do in in our day-to-day lives. You know, you want to carry out and you want to chase turkeys. You want to chase deer. You want to, you know, have more at home. You want to have nice cars or whatever it may be. But if you're not continually chasing that one passion that you have in your life, you're falling behind. You got that right. I mean, and that's you know that's what I take from it. I was telling Cody outside earlier that I, I got to do more. I'm not doing enough, and that's what I that's the way I feel sitting here. As great an episode it was, I'm not doing enough, and then I need to do better at at doing more. Maybe I need to do better at doing more. Maybe that's <laughs> where I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> so for everybody here to talk about it outdoors, we want to thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, go check out John Mulligan. He's over on YouTube at Arrow Wild TV. Um You can find his apparel, and he he dropped it. He's got stuff that you can see on his Instagram. He's a big workout guy, workmorehours.com. Um, if you want to find him on Instagram, Facebook, or the Carbon TV app, you can watch any of his stuff there. And you want to see some pretty cool turkey calls, check out those bourbon barrel calls. He's got some neat ones over there. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for being with us again tonight. Come back and sit with us a while again, and we're going to remind you to smile as you go, and don't forget, mount the memories.